Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Our group is self-supporting through the seven traditions, so if you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating. You can do this with either Venmo or PayPal at New Life Speakers. Links to these can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org, or you can use the link in the description. We greatly appreciate your generosity. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can also be found on our website. Again, that's newlifespeakers.org. And if you know some people in need, please share this with them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. I'm Kyle. All right. I was really hoping there'd be far fewer people. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so I'm Kyle. Uh, I was here uh, the earlier part of my sobriety um, and was always present at the, the Wild Missing group on Thursday nights, but I like to say that I have two home groups now. Um, my other home group is in Dunmore. I now reside in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where I'm in residency. Um, so I like to start off by saying, you know, I'm, I'm Kyle and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I have a home group. Um, I have a sponsor who knows he's my sponsor. Um, I have been through the 12 steps. Uh, currently, I, share, I serve as the chairperson uh, for my home group in, uh, in Dunmore, and also uh, taking two guys through the steps. So the reason I start off that way is because I think um, not a lot of attention gets paid to the triangle of recovery, the triangle of sobriety. And um, those are the three pillars, and I try to live and work those every day. Um, but that's, you know, the reason I'm dressed up tonight is because my sponsor always told me that when you, when you speak, when you share your story, you should get dressed up to show the newcomer that the program works. And, you know, the program has worked for me in some, some amazing ways. And uh, I was just able to celebrate um, three years in sobriety. And it, it was, uh, it's been a long road. And um, just so grateful to be in this room and to have the people around. My buddy Ray back there that, uh, you know, he took me when I was in a really pitiful, demoralized state and um, gave me the support that I needed um, to get this program and get started and continue to give back as much as I can. So anyway, let's get started. So um, it all starts, you know, I, I had a great childhood. I'm from the suburbs, even though I pretend that, you know, I'm pretty hood because I went to an inner city high school for about a couple years. And uh, now, so... The truth, of this, uh, the truth of the situation is that I'm just a cracker trying to be cool, so. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so, I need a good laugh. But, uh, that, yeah, that's always one of the things that I appreciate about this group. You know, we just don't take ourselves too, too damn seriously. And I just don't think there's any need to. So, uh, yeah, no, I started off and, uh, my, you know, I had a great childhood. You know, I don't have any... Uh, trauma in my background, um, you know, very loving, caring family. Um, but the one thing that I always like to start off by saying is that alcohol was always very celebrated in my family. Um, so family parties, things of that nature, alcohol was always very prevalent and always very, uh, you know, consumed at a, at a high rate. And, uh, you know, we would play drinking games. We would, you know, um, and when we get together, it would always be a, a good time. So I always had fond memories, you know, uh, in that regard. Now, I didn't start drinking until I was about... 16 years old, and I remember uh, my first drink. I remember being a very uh, uncomfortable in my own skin, and I hear that a lot um, with people when they're sharing their stories. You know, it's just one of those things that brings us all together, because at the end of the day, you know, I feel especially in this program, we're more alike than we are different. And, um, 
yeah, so I was at this, I was at this party. I was really uncomfortable with myself. I remember sitting in the basement thinking like, um, I couldn't talk to people. I didn't, I couldn't get out of my shell. Right. And this guy comes over and offers me a beer and I drank it. And I remember that sensation, um, that I had arrived, you know, all of a sudden I was like the life of the party. You know, I was, I was able to talk to people. I was able to interact, you know, all of my fears and social anxieties went away. So initially that's where, it, that's where it all started for me. I would only drink on like the weekends. Um, but then it became like, I would always throw the parties. I, you know, I was always seeking, seeking that external validation. And that has been something that is pervasive throughout my entire story. It's always seeking the validation of other people in order to make me feel better about myself. And uh, I did that when I was in high school a lot. I always wanted to throw the party. I, I, I always uh, you know, couldn't get alcohol. So the things that we would do is uh, we would go and like steal alcohol from people's garages. We would drive around. And I look back on it now and I feel bad about it, you know, but I always had those excuses. I always told myself, you know, oh, they're not going to miss it. Oh, these people are rich, you know, you know, they're not going to miss a case of beer here and there. Right. And, you know, maybe that's true. But at the same time, you know, it's not an excuse for my behavior at that point in time. It's something that I had to make amends for later on in my life. Um, so it continues from there. You know, I went to college, went to the Pennsylvania State University. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We are. we are, but then, uh, anyway, um, so I, you know, and at that point in my life, you know, it was still fun. I didn't have that many responsibilities. Um, I lived in a house of 11 guys and there was always something to do and it almost always involved alcohol. And, you know, it was just, uh, what we did and there weren't too many problems that stemmed from that. I ended up getting out of there without too much, um, without too many consequences. Um, there is one thing that I, I always remember when I was in my freshman year, I almost failed out of the program. I was in this pre-medicine program and I had like a three one or something. And they told me that, you know, I basically, I got called into my counselor's office. I remember my dad was on the phone <laughs> or something like that. And they were going to tell me that I, I couldn't do it. Right. I couldn't graduate. Right? I had to find a different plan in, in life. And I told them that, you know, go fuck themselves. And, uh, you know, uh, so over the, the next couple of years, you know, I was taking the harder classes, getting good grades and, and still, I don't know, uh, it worked out, you know, eventually. So then, um, but I like to just say that, you know, it wasn't all bad, right? It wasn't all bad. Um, there were times where, um, I had a good time and especially when I didn't have those responsibilities in life that I was able to, you know, uh, enjoy myself. But then, you know, I went into medical school and I told myself I would need to stop drinking. And this is when um, I could stop for like periods of time, but then it always came right back. You know, I would stop for like a week, I would stop for maybe a month, and then I would always come right back and probably worse than I ever did before. Um, the other thing that happened when I was in medical school is I was in this relationship um, <clears throat> with this girl and I was trying to, she didn't really have a job at the time, she was working in a restaurant. And I would stay up until like three, four in the morning, staying out with her friends because I wanted to keep this relationship going, right? This unhealthy thing. And um, then <clears throat> what that would lead to is that I, you know, didn't do as well in, in school as I needed to. And then I would, you know, just like every other time in my life, you know, just like in, in college, I would, you know, basically get reprimanded. I would clean myself up. I would do a really great job, you know, and then all of a sudden I would go you know, inevitably spiraling back with it, you know, with alcohol. And, um, the reason I say that is that, uh, I did, you know, I tried, I tried to stop. I tried to stop on many occasions. So it progresses from there. I went on into uh, residency. I went uh, in a small residency program, internal medicine in Norton, Virginia. 
And uh, I told myself again, I would stop drinking. And, uh, and it, just, it just got worse and worse. And now I was you know, in this situation where I didn't really have too many friends. You know, all my other friends were residents and they were all working all the time. So I was just isolated. And um, that's when it really took uh, a real turn for the worse. And um, I lost that job. And I remember that day very specifically. Um, uh, I remember walking into work one morning and my attending, uh, my, my program director actually, uh, came rolling in and he said, we need to talk. And I was like, well, this can't be good. You know, he said, you know, somebody said they smelled alcohol in your breath. So he took me over to employee health where they did a breathalyzer test and I blew a 0 0.04. And um, they drove me home. <clears throat> I immediately lost my position. And, uh, you know, there I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have my, my friends all disappeared. You know, I didn't have, you know, I had a, girl, a girlfriend at the time um, that I was living with and uh, she was the only person left really in my life. Uh, all my friends, all my, you know, all the people that I had in that area, they were just gone one day, poof, you know, and that's when I first realized that I didn't have any real friends in alcoholism. I didn't have any real friends in alcoholism at all. And um, it just, it, I couldn't, I couldn't get it, right? So they put me in this program <clears throat> and I started in like an intensive outpatient program because I basically went in there and told them that I didn't have a problem because I didn't believe I did at the time because I wasn't able to accept um, that I had an issue, that I could possibly have an issue because my arrogance was such that, um, you know, it couldn't be me that was the problem. It was them, right? It was those other people. And if they would just leave me alone, everything would be fine, right? I think that sounds familiar to some people in here, right? Um, just that thought, that notion that I wasn't the problem. And I kept going for about, you know, I would say about six, seven, eight months, um, where I was going to this intensive outpatient treatment. I was, I was drinking the whole time. I, I found out a way to pass their drug tests. Um, and uh, I, was, I was going, but I was going to that program with the intention that I could learn something from what they were trying to teach me. And I remember sitting in that chair, looking around the room, thinking one day, I'm so glad this is here for these people, right? Because I still didn't need it, right? I still didn't want this program. I still didn't, I didn't need it in my life, but I was glad that it was there for them. And I remember the counselor that was there, her name was Brenda. She was amazing. She was a wonderful lady. And um, she was an old, like, uh, charge nurse. So anybody in medicine understands that, like, they're just, like, these hard nose, but, like, they'll, they'll, like, they'll beat you down on the ground because they love you so much. You know what I mean? And um, she, she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And I remember a couple of things that I said to her. I told her that I was too young to die. That's what I told her. I told her I couldn't stop drinking alcohol because I was too young to give up on life, right? And then she looks, she looks right at me, and she just smiles. She was like, you are too young. She's like, you have your whole life to live, you know? And that's why she's like, I want it so bad for you, you know? And, um, <clears throat> and it was true, you know, so like anybody in this room right now, uh, if you're coming into this program young, know that you have your entire life to live. And if you are able to get through this tough spot in your life, you have so many wonderful opportunities ahead of you. And it's going to be so easy to accomplish whatever goals you set before yourself so much easier without drugs and alcohol in your life. And um, you're going to reach much greater heights. Now, uh, <clears throat> So after that, I finally get um, kicked out of my girlfriend's house. I remember the day, December 6th, uh, 2019, no, 2018, shit. Um, and uh, I didn't have anywhere to go, right? So I was, 
you know, I had been mooching off my father um, for, for months now. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any place of residence. So, you know, I, I called my parents up and uh, I moved into the basement. And, um, you know, at this point in my life, you know, alcohol had taken a lot from me. Alcohol had taken, you know, I, I had no job. I had no money. I had, no, you know, I just had the car that my parents had given me. You know, I'm living in my parents' basement and just complete and utter um, despair and, uh, and a lot of shame, you know, and I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know how I was going to get out of this thing, right? And there I sat. And then that was my, you know, when I had my moment of acceptance, um, I remember being in my parents' basement. I had been like sneaking alcohol in through the basement window. I was pretending that I was going to meetings and I would leave it by the window downstairs and I'd go, I'd like make up some story that I was going to bed early and I would walk downstairs and, you know, grab the bottle and, and you know, I was just drinking. And again, right, I didn't have a problem, right? Um, so anyway, uh, I remember sitting there in the basement one, one evening and, uh, I had no alcohol, I had no bourbon left. Bourbon was my thing. And I was just shaking this bottle in my face, trying to get that last fucking drop, you know? And I had this realization, this God moment, and it just said in the back of my head, like, what are you doing, you know? And it was so true. Nobody, and I finally, finally was able to surpass that delusion because I used to tell myself all the time, this is just what everybody does. Everybody drinks every day. And if somebody told me that they didn't drink every day, I thought they were full of shit. And, um... But that was the first time in my life where I realized that, hey, maybe there's something to this thing. And uh, so I remember <clears throat> uh, my father was trying to get me um, to do something, right? Anything. So I go on this website, IDAA website, which is um, a, separate, uh, you know, a separate group from Alcoholics Anonymous for physicians. So I thought, maybe I can get some help. Maybe I can find some people that, that can... Uh, that can help me along this path to get back to work. Because again, all I wanted to do at this point was get my job back. That was my only goal. And uh, the reason that I say that is because I firmly believe that it does not matter why you come into these rooms. I don't care if you came in because you got into some, some law trouble. I don't care if you, you know, if you're, you know, your, your girlfriend or your, or your boyfriend or your, you know, spouse or your parents, you know, dragged you into this room against your will. It doesn't matter what brought you in here. The only thing that matters is what makes you stay. So I came, I, you know, I, I, I do believe this is like a higher power moment for me. I went on this website and it told me that the closest one, closest Caduceus meeting was in Reading, Pennsylvania. And it's about an hour, hour, 15 minute drive from where I lived at the time. And um, I come to find out later that there's actually two in my hometown, but they weren't listed on the website. So um, I show up, it was right here, it was downstairs. And um, it was a Reading Caduceus, the Reading Caduceus meeting, meets Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. And uh, still running, still some of my best friends in my life, but I remember walking into that room. And uh, my father actually drove me, that was another good part of the story. My dad brought me to the meeting, mostly because I don't think he trusted that I would actually go <laughs> if he didn't drag my ass there. So, um, so that's the truth of the story. You know, I'm 28 years old and that's where I was in my life and my progression in my, in my maturity level, right? Um, that I, that I had to have my father drive me to this meeting because I was too afraid to go. And, um, I walked into that room and we thought we were in the wrong 
place. <laughs> we truly did. The first guy that walks by, who um, he was in a full sweatpants suit, <laughs> and and then and then another friend of mine. Um, she walks in, she had a cane and she was like hobbling up the stairs and my dad looks at me and he's like, are we in the right place? <laughs> like, who are these people? You know, but then the meeting gets started. Right. And I started hearing some other people's stories and they start sharing a lot about their lives with me. And I had this realization that every single one of these people in this room, um, has been in my position before and has found a way to get out. And in that moment I had the hope that I needed. That's where I found the hope that I needed to get started on this journey because before that was just darkness, despair, and death sounded like a good option, you know? And um, walking into that room was one of the, the bright moments of my life. You know, I look back on it very fondly. Now, they did help me. They, uh, they got me involved in programs, Physicians Health Program, um, for the state of Pennsylvania where they assist, um, you know, physicians in, uh, through a monitoring program and getting back into medicine. Um, now they sent me to Karen. I went to Karen treatment centers in the healthcare professionals program. And I was petrified the very first day when I was the day before. And, uh, you know, my friend in the back can tell you the day before I was supposed to go to Karen, I was shitting my pants. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that it was going to be like prison. I thought it was going to be um, you know, like, yeah, like three hots in a car. I thought that, you know, that's where I was headed and I was just like terrified and I'm too pretty for prison. So, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Travis nods. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you are. But, um, uh, uh, so anyway, so I ended up going there and I had the most amazing six weeks of my life. It was a great, it was a great, great experience. And some of those guys are still some of my best friends to this day. We still stay in contact. In fact, we do every year to celebrate our anniversaries, we get a cabin in the woods and we just, we go and we hang out and we catch up. You know, this year the cabin fell through because everybody has booked a freaking cabin. But in two weeks from now, we, uh, we got an Airbnb in the area and we're all going to get together and catch up, go to the Karen, um, the Karen chapel meeting. And, uh, and yeah, so the reason that I tell that as that part of my story is because oftentimes in this program, it's the things that we least want to do, the things that we're most scared of doing that are the most beneficial. And I've seen that time and time again in my life and other people's lives, you know, taking that, it's that willingness uh, to take the suggestion of somebody that knows more than you do, going and fucking doing it, and then feeling so much better on the other side. It just, you know, it just happens time and time again. But anyway, so I, go to, so I go to Karen, and I have a great experience, and I come out, and I'm right back in my parents' basement, right? So that was my first kind of hurdle that I needed to get over, right? I thought to myself, oh, nothing has gotten better, right? Nothing has changed. But that's not true, right? Because I had changed, because I had had this experience that I was sharing with people at Karen, and now I had the hope that I needed to continue to make that fresh start. Right. Time takes time, they say in this program. And it's certainly true for me. Right. I was in my parents basement for another three months before I found a job. Um, Somebody that would take me. It was in healthcare, but it was as a medical scribe. Right. Um, Which for those of you that don't know, that's something that like people coming out of college will do before going to medical school. But I had already graduated. Right. Um, So the other job that I work after that, I was working in urgent care. Um, I was working as an urgent care technician. Uh, which basically is like a medical assistant. 
Um, and then I was also working the front desk at the urgent care. And that was the one thing, you know, that I needed to learn the most. And um, the one thing that I really, really needed uh, in my life was some humility. Because I was so arrogant. I could not do any wrong. I knew that other people, if other people disagreed with me, I just realized that they didn't understand. Um, and, um, and I moved on with my day. But uh, I look back on that experience because, again, it was something that I did not want to do, but it, was, but it was work, right? It was, it was money. It allowed me to move out of my parents' basement. It allowed me to get an apartment in this area. It allowed me to get a fresh start, join the Wild Missing group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, uh, and start making some friendships, right? And, and it did. And then uh, I met my, my sponsor. I was introduced to my sponsor from, uh, from a friend of mine who is uh, also a physician's assistant. Uh, he's like, yeah, I know this guy. If you want to go meet him. It's like, sounds good. I'll try it out, right? Um, so I go and meet this guy, and almost immediately we hit it off. And uh, the, reason that I, the reason I tell this part of the story is because this guy had something that I wanted. Right. The number one thing that I struggled with, the number one thing that was keeping me from this program was my aspect, my vision of spirituality. I could not grasp it. Um, I went to treatment thinking that I, I knew that I needed to figure it out. Right. Because that's who I was, this type A personality kind of person. I thought spirituality was a puzzle that needed to be solved. I would just have to like put things into certain positions and then all of a sudden, you know, I would have this like bright and shining new light, right? This bright and shining like new, new uh, spiritual experience, right? As they say. And uh, my sponsor was a spiritual guy, is a spiritual guy, you know? And that's exactly what I wanted from him. And one of the first things that he actually said to me, I remember it was like three days into like, you know, him being my sponsor and he was telling me that he was going to meetings and he was he was sharing his story and I was like oh man I could never do that <laughs> and um and he goes well you know as long as uh as long as you're speaking with an open heart you're going to say exactly what you're supposed to say and he said you know always remember that it's not about you you might just say but you might just say something that somebody needs to hear All right so that's what I keep trying to remember um while I'm up here today uh so yeah, it goes from there, you know, we started, we started going through the steps and I had one, two and three pretty much nailed at that point in time. Uh, and I started on my, uh, on my fourth step and like, I, you know, I didn't really have too much of a trouble. You know, everybody talks about like the fourth step being like the big bad wolf. And, um, it wasn't that hard for me to write it all down. It was stressful. And, uh, I always recommend to people like always take at least a month, but don't take more than three. Don't let it linger, you know, because everybody is going to be in a, in a bad place right when they when they do their their fourth step so don't let it just you know if you stop halfway through then you're not going to experience any of the growth from it right you're not you're, you're kind of missing the point right but if you do it too quickly then you're not um taking enough time to like really go back and look at you know the past mistakes that we have made the resentments you know that, that we hold and that are keeping us from from a better spiritual way of life right and then uh you know the hard part for me was the fifth step the hard part was actually talking to my my sponsor and telling him all the shit that I did. And, um, you know, it was, it was a life changing experience. You know, it's just, we were sitting out there, um, by our sweat lodge, which is how I connect spiritually on a regular basis. And, um, I remember, you know, I'm going through it and I just have always struggled with like this deep shame, you know, related to my alcoholism. And, um, I finished my, I finished my fifth step with him and, 
uh, I just remember him saying, because he could see it in my face, that I was truly uncomfortable. And um, what he said to me was very profound. He said, um, you know, Kyle, I just want you to know that that's not the person that I see sitting before me today. It's not the person that you are, and it's not the person that you have to be. And that, that last line is like the operative term, right? It's not who you have to be, because I think a lot of times uh, we, we peg ourselves, right, especially in alcoholism, in drug addiction, we tell ourselves, this is all I am, and this is all I'm ever going to be, and it's so far from the truth. And it's kind of a self-propagating, or self, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I told myself that, you know, alcohol is a part of my life, I could never leave it, right? I could never leave it behind. It's always going to be there, Right? And this guy in this moment, he, he proved to me that I could start again, right? And so many people, you have this opportunity in here that you can take all the past mistakes, the things that you've done previously, and you can leave them behind. You can leave them where they lay. And you can start fresh anytime you want. And start moving forward today. And, um, and start making a better life for yourself. And just do it one day at a time. And, you know, things work out as long as you're doing... The next right thing, things tend to work out um, in your favor. So I mentioned it a little bit, but uh, I'm going to come back to the spirituality aspect. I couldn't, I couldn't um, grasp it, right? And basically what my sponsor told me is stop trying. <laughs> you know, all you have to do is make a start. All you have to do is believe the possibility of that there's something out there that's greater than, than me. How hard is that, right? Start with, you know, the home group. Start with, you know, other people in Alcoholics Anonymous. These are all great tools, right? But then that's what he told me is that I have to come up with my own conception. And that's the most beautiful aspect of this program. Nobody tells you what to believe. Nobody tells you what you have to believe. You can take whatever works for you and allow that to grow as it may. And that was the number one thing that I learned from my sponsor and continue to learn from my sponsor is a lot about taking my spirituality and letting it be what it's going to be and letting it change and grow and devolve and evolve, um, ebb and flow. You know, my relationship with my higher power isn't always perfect, right? I don't always pray as much as I should. I don't always meditate as much as I say. Um, but it's always there and it's always a part of my life. And, you know, one of the other things that it, um, sobriety has offered me is it has allowed me to regain my conscience, right? Um, going into a certain situation, you know, when I was drinking, all I wanted to, you know, I, I just wanted to do what was best for me, what I thought was best for me at the time, right? But now I can look at a situation, I can sense how I feel about what I should do, right? I can sense um, in that moment when I get that thought in the back of my head, hey, maybe I should do this. Even if I don't want to do it, it's probably the right thing to do. That's probably where, you know, my higher power is guiding me at that point in time. So am I going to listen, Right? And nowadays I listen more often than I did. So it's all about progress. It's not about perfection, but I do the best that I can on every day to, uh, to live on that right side of my conscience and try to follow you know, where I'm guided and try to go where I'm supposed to be. Um, the other, that's the other thing that he always used to say and still says um, is that you know, as long as you're doing the next right thing, you're always going to wind up where you're supposed to be. Um, so that doesn't mean that it's going to be where you want it to be. It doesn't mean where you're going to be where you think you need it to be at that point in time. Um, but it's always where you're supposed to be. Um, and that's the, the next part of my story. 
The next part of my story is that I was living here in this area and I was working over at Tower Health down the street um, and I was trying to apply for residencies. And it was a long road. It was a long road. It took me a long time, um, a couple years. So the first time that I applied, I didn't get in anywhere. I actually didn't get any interviews even. Um, and then, I don't know, something told me that this is what I really wanted to do and that if, it, you know, if I'm going to work for it, I needed to work for it. And then, um, you know, it's going to work out when it's supposed to work out. Or by, you know, it felt right to me, right? So I felt like I was doing the next right thing. So as long as I continue down this path, then I'm going to end up where I'm supposed to be, you know. Thankfully, um, that led me to a very interesting story, and I will keep it quick. Um, a friend of mine called me up randomly and uh, was like, hey, I found this place. It's up in Honesdale, which is up near Scranton, and they're doing like a yoga meditation retreat. It sounds pretty cool. My birthday was coming up, right? So I randomly look at the website. I see this one. It's on the weekend before my birthday. So I go up there. And uh, we have a wonderful time, you know. We were the only two guys there <laughs> at this freaking yoga meditation retreat. And, uh, and uh, anyway, yeah. But, no, they, they became very good friends. And um, one, of the, one of the women that was there actually happened to work at this place called, uh, I don't know if I should tell you where I work, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, anyway, it was this place that, up in Scranton. And she happened to work there, and she was a behavioral health specialist and said she knew some people that I should, I should take a look at their program. And they happened to have an internal medicine program. So I, uh, I did. Um, and it, then I come back. I tell my friends at Caduceus about it. They, um, one of my friends happens to know the chief resident of internal medicine up there. No shit. And then uh, another friend of mine happens to know the CEO. <laughs> So it's just, it's amazing how, you know, it's amazing how these things unfolded, you know, because so, so many times in my life beforehand, I thought I needed to control everything. I needed to control every aspect because I needed the situation to turn out how I thought it should. And I've come to find that I was totally mistaken, totally wrong. Because what I need to do is just keep being a good person, keep helping other people. As long as I'm doing those things, I'm guided in the direction that I need to, in the direction that I need and want to go. So lo and behold, um, I end up getting accepted. Actually, I'll tell you that part of the story too, because you know it's never easy, right? And it doesn't have to be easy. Nothing in life is perfect. Nothing in life is that easy. But the thing about the program is that it makes it manageable, right? That's all it promises you. Life becomes more manageable. Now. I didn't get in right away. I, uh, there's like this whole match process you have to go through. You have like interviews for like six months and then you go through this match process. Everybody in here can tell you I was a, I was a wreck, you know? I was a wreck this whole time. And I was like, oh, maybe it'll work out. Everybody kept telling me it will, right? And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, day comes smack in the face, right? Smack right in the face. I didn't get in, right? I come in here. These guys will tell you I was just a mess. I was just a straw. You know, what am I doing with my life, you know? And... Uh, but, but I didn't let it take me out. I will tell you this, though. When I read that message, that was the first time that I thought seriously about drinking in, like, two years. Um, I read that message that I had not matched, and I was like, what am I doing here? I don't need any of this, right? But thankfully, I had been around long enough, and I had stayed involved long enough that um, I knew what to do, right? I called my sponsor. I blew off some steam, right? I called my dad, and I was able to blow off some steam. He came up to 
to hang out with me that day. I really appreciate that. Um, sorry. <laughs> so anyway, so then I called, I called some other people and I, um, and I just, you know, I was able to, to work through it, you know, and, um, that's just a gift of the program. That's just a gift of, of the, you wonderful people in here. Um, and I thank you for that. Um, but anyway, the story gets better. <laughs> so I get a call like randomly, like two months later and they're like, Oh, the, you know, the, the DIO of this institution wants to have a, a an interview with you. I say, like, okay, I wonder what this is about, you know? So I get on the horn. It was a video interview. Um, I wore this exact suit and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> And uh, yeah, she's like, she's like, well, uh, do, would you like to have one of these? Well, you know, we have an ex we have an extra spot. Would you like to take it? And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um, so it all worked out. You know, I start going up there, and and it's been good. It's been good. Life's been good. Uh, I've been up there for about seven months now. Um, you know, I'm doing pretty well in my intern year, um, making a lot of great friends. Uh, I have a beautiful girlfriend in the back here, uh, and uh, it's just. Life couldn't be better, man. It was a long road, but I'm so glad that I'm able to look back on it and laugh, you know? Because uh, I like to look back. I like to look back and just see where I was. Um, and not to linger, but just to take a peek, right? Because it allows me to appreciate where I'm at, where I'm at today. It allows me to be grateful on my shittiest days. And um, appreciate all the gifts that I've been given and all the, you know, the real friends, right? The real friends that I've met in these rooms. And like, these guys didn't kick me out of the text message group and it brings me a smile every day, you know, all the stupid shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, and I come back and I visit and try to stay involved, you know? And that's like some of the key things that I always like to talk about just to, to, to end here. I want to leave some time for, for conversation and discussion, but like the two things that I really um, like to bring up. The first one is, uh, I always tell all of my sponsees the same thing. There's only three things you have to do every day to make it in this program. So alcohol and addiction is isolation. The opposite of isolation is connectedness, right? So the first thing you have to do is you have to stay connected to the fellowship. You have to get a home group. You have to get a sponsor. You have to get involved in that home group. You don't sit in the back of the room. You sit in the front and share during the meetings. Take commitments. When people ask you to speak, you say, okay. Um, and you get involved and you make those friendships and those people are the ones that are gonna carry you through in the dark times, you know? And, uh, and I've been lucky, you know, I've been very, very lucky, very fortunate um, to have the people that have been placed in my life. And uh, the second thing you gotta do is stay connected to your higher power. Um, you have to gain whatever form of spirituality, keep leaning for it. You have to, you have to cling on to whatever form of spirituality you've defined for yourself and whatever that looks like, keep it going. Um, and trust, right? And you have to, you have to be able to, to trust that things are going to work out, um, as long as you keep doing the next right thing and it'll follow It'll carry you through, man. It'll carry you through. And, um, that relationship that I have with my higher power is, relieved a lot of like my anxieties and the big bad word, you know, fear in my life. You know, it's not all gone, but it's allayed, it's at bay. And, um, you know, uh, just doing the things that, that you need to do to stay in contact uh, really helps you through. And then the third thing is that 
You have to stay connected to yourself. And that's probably the hardest thing to do, right? You need to be able to check in with yourself and see how you're doing. And if you're struggling on a particular day, pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, because that's, that's the hardest thing that I struggled with because I always thought that I didn't need any help, right? Um, I always thought that I was like the big dog, right? And I didn't need um, other people to help me. I needed to be self-sufficient. I needed to be a man. And that's the biggest lie um, that, that society tells us, right? I think, that, I think that being a man is admitting your faults. I think that being a man is admitting when you need some help and going to ask somebody for that help. You know, I was just telling somebody the other day, I, think, well, I don't think it was one of my sponsees, but the guy from my home group, and I was just telling him, man, you know, there's a thousand hands out there. There's a thousand hands out there reaching out to help. All you got to do is reach back. And, and, you know, if you ask for help, anybody's going to be there for you. But the whole thing about staying connected with yourself is, is that, you know, you need to be able to tell when you're, having, when you're not feeling right. You need to be able to tell when you're feeling great. And you need to be able to uh, experience gratitude in your life um, on good days and bad days because it, it, really, um, it really makes the difference. Um, and then the last thing that I, I wanted to say is that uh, same thing about staying involved with, with the fellowship, getting involved in service, man. Getting involved in service. My sponsor actually could not be here tonight because he's at Narasa, which is the Northeast Regional Assembly, because um, he's uh, the assistant. I forget what he is now. Um, but anyway, he's the, I think he's the ADA of one of the districts, but I don't remember. Uh, DM, DCM, ADCM, that's the one. Yeah, so he's the, he's the, he's the, yeah, the other, some, some acronym, I don't know. Letters, letters. But anyway, so, so that's why he couldn't be here tonight, because he's, he's out there, he's being of service, you know, and another great friend of mine is out there as well. But, you know, the thing about service is that it keeps you involved, it keeps you in the fellowship, you make a lot of wonderful, wonderful friends. It keeps you sticking with the winners, right, because those are the people that, that stay involved. Um, in the program are the people that, you know, the, they believe in this process, right? The other thing is that service is what keeps this, this ship afloat, right? Um, you know, and there's all these changes in, happening in the background that, that, you know, we've always been talking about, but, you know, having a part in that, right? Um, and then putting on, like, workshops. I loved putting on workshops. We just put on one up in Scranton about a month ago, and, like, everybody was there. Everybody had a good time. You know, there's a lot of great fellowship, and, you know, one of the other things that that I like to tell people, especially young guys, is that there's so much more fun to be had in Alcoholics Anonymous than there is um, at the bar. You know, it's like there's so much, and you can enjoy the time, you know, that you have with people, and you have so many great conversations, and you'll actually grow as an individual, right? Whereas previously, I would just be sitting, you know, I would just be calling up my friends. I would be nagging these people to, like, begging them to come to the freaking bar with me um, because that's where I was in my life, and that's where I thought friendship was, and that's where I thought friendship was made. But uh, in actuality, you know, going to these to these service conferences, you know, and, you know, I, I think that they're getting started back up. You know, they're getting started back up in person now, which is a lot better. I remember I remember before freaking COVID, man, when I when I first got sober, there was events all the time, you know, and I, I miss that. And I feel I feel like obligated. My my friends and I, my home, my new home group talk about it all the time, like throwing on these events for younger people, you know, in, in recovery, showing them you can have fun because it's so true. You know, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. You don't need drugs to have a good time. In fact, if anything, it always ended up shit. It always ended up terribly, I thought, um, in the end of, at the end of the day. And, um, but anyway, yeah, just like keeping that in mind, getting involved in service.
And um, I like to finish with I like to finish with a story. Um, I forget where I heard this. I think it was online somewhere. But I do. I think these online applications, you know, people talk a lot of crap on them and stuff. But it, you know, Facebook's not bad. Instagram's not bad. Twitter's not bad. It's a tool, right? It's all about how you use it. I have a lot of good Facebook groups that I belong to. They send out um, all these great. Uh, inspirational quotes and images and things of that nature and it brings a smile to my face and gives me something to think about for the rest of the day so um this story is very um it's very good i can't remember if it's a poem or a story but um it goes something like this and i am paraphrasing uh so there was this guy right and he's walking through the woods and he finds this cave and he's interested so he goes inside and it's extremely dark and he can't find his way and he gets lost Right? He can't find his way out. As he's rummaging around, um, he gets beat up, he gets banged up, and um, he starts to despair. And he doesn't really know how to get out. He doesn't know where to go. And as he's sitting there, he hears a voice off in the distance calling out his name. Eventually, he gets closer and closer to the voice and all of a sudden he feels his hand in his own and he feels a certain warmth in the cold um, and he doesn't feel quite so alone. The voice walks him <clears throat> um, hand in hand and all of a sudden on the horizon, or not horizon, but all of a sudden in the distance he sees a light and um, as he gets closer and closer to the light, he feels this warmth. And they get to the other side, and it's a beautiful oasis full of happy people. Um, and this gentleman, he's so grateful to have been saved, and, and he's you know, running about and um, having a good time. And all of a sudden, he looks back, and the man that helped him is heading back in towards the cave. And he says, Why, where are you going? And he goes, there's more people that need my help. So that's all I have to share. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.